ages 1 to 15. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid down on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is, no, there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure. And from the rhythms of life. So we have this passage from Ecclesiastes that Nicola read to us. I'm sure you probably heard that passage before where there's two things are mirrored together, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to tear down and a time to build. It's a famous passage. Um, but let's have a little bit of a thought about what the book of Ecclesiastes is, because I think it's relevant. Uh, we have these books in the Bible that are called wisdom literature, and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs are part of that. The book of Proverbs has these little sayings in it, and it says things like, the wise person will prosper, uh, but the wicked will perish or be punished. Something like that. There's a lot of verses you can find that are a bit like that. And the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, well, is that true? When you look at the world, is that really true that good people, people who follow God, they're the ones who prosper and they're the ones who are okay, they don't suffer and it's the bad people who suffer? It's not true, is it, really? And so he says, yeah, life is more complicated than that. So it's as if Proverbs is what the ideal situation is, but in Ecclesiastes, he's looking and saying, I don't understand this. When I look at the world, this doesn't make sense. Things seem to be meaningless. There's a, there's a phrase in Ecclesiastes where he says, everything is meaningless. It's not something you expect to find in the Bible, is it? Things do seem to ha happen a bit randomly. Who gets saved, who, who's, who suffers in an earthquake or whatever, why do some parts of the world suffer more than others, and so on. He seems to be reaching for an understanding by actually looking at the evidence in front of him. And I think there's three things that he learns from this. First of all, he discovers as he thinks and perhaps prays about it and looks at the world, he says, firstly, that life is not meaningless, but we can't always see the meaning ourselves. Life is not monotonous. It's a pattern, a pattern of life. 
Life is not a bed of roses for the righteous, for those who follow God. It's not all Instagram-worthy shots, is it? There is deep sorrow in life. But God is in charge, even if we can't see it from where we are today. So in other words, he's looking at the real world and saying, okay, this world is not perfect, but God is still in charge. You can trust him. So enjoy the everyday. Go about your business with hope and gratitude. He says, there's nothing better than for people to be happy and to do good while they live. They may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. It's in verse 13. Then we have the Luke reading. And Jesus talks about those birds who don't need to worry because they know that God will provide their food. It's as if he's saying that nature has been set up by God and created in a way that the rhythms of life will happen and that the natural world, it, can all, it all relies on each other and it all works. Whereas, of course, adding us into the equation, we think we know better than God and we try and play the role of creator. We try and be masters of our own universe and we know what happens in the natural world when we do that. I was thinking about invasive species. You know when somebody has brought something over from one continent to another and uh, let it loose in the environment, either on purpose or by mistake. And I was thinking about rabbits. In Australia, rabbits were brought in. I can't remember who, or who brought them or why. Someone thought it was a good idea to bring rabbits to Australia. In 1910, there were 10 billion of them. They've got it down now to about 200 million. I know it's a big continent, but still, 200 million rabbits is a lot of rabbits. And that's because there aren't any predators who have you know, evolved to, to be able to eat rabbits or, or to you know, know that they're food. And so they, uh, the rabbits were just able to breed unchecked. And we know what happens when rabbits breed unchecked. So an example of how we don't really know what we're doing, do we? Pesticides and fertilizers are things that uh, humankind has used because they have good benefits in getting us more crops to grow food, but they have a downside on the environment as we're now discovering more and more. We don't really have much of an understanding of how ecosystems work. We have more than we did have, but there's still a long way to go. And when we play God, we're really lousy at it, aren't we? But God knows how the created world works. He made it himself. And he set in motion those rhythms and patterns of life. So what I want to us to think about today is, what can we learn about these rhythms and patterns of life that will help us in our discipleship, that will help us as we follow God? Well, the first thing to notice is that in this country, we spend a lot of time out of step with the natural world if you think about it. In our homes, we have heating and electricity, so we don't need to only work and do things when it's light. Uh, you know, when darkness comes, we just flick on the lights so we can work into the night if we want to. Uh, we have heating, which is fantastic, which is a great thing, um, but it does mean that we could walk around in our shirt sleeves in our houses in the middle of winter if we wanted to, uh, because we can put the heating on. And of course, we know the effect that that's having on the environment when people use fuel to an excessive amount. So it's a good thing, but we've perhaps begun to abuse it. 
Whereas in many parts of the world, people don't have electric light. And so when darkness comes, they have to go to bed and wait till the morning because there's only a limited amount of things you can do to the light of a candle. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but it just shows you how different it is for us here that we're not really very much in step with what's happening outside our windows. I think we're very out of step in the natural world, uh, in our shopping habits and our travel, the fact that we can go thousands of miles in a short time, the fact that we can buy things without even getting off the sofa. Um, this is where I confess that I bought my nephew's birthday present yesterday morning before I'd even got out of bed. And to be more lazy, I sent it straight to my sister's house uh, because I'd left it too late to be able to have it sent to my house and then post it to him. Because we can shop without um, you know, a moment's thought, really, it's meant that uh, it's harder for us to budget. Uh, we don't tend to reflect as much. Do I really need this? Is it worth going out and getting? You know, do I really want this thing? You can just click before you've even had time to think. And although, again, that's great, it can be very advantageous in many circumstances, it does have some downsides. We know how easy it is to get into debt. We know that in our society, or we might recognize in ourselves, that's that kind of dissatisfaction with always thinking, oh, if only we had this, or if only we did that, we would be happy. And there's also that word, uh, I can't remember who wrote the book, but there's a book called Stuffocation, which is about how in, in the Western world, we're just drowning in our own stuff. Does anybody feel like that? You're drowning in your own stuff. You have so much stuff, it takes you time to sort it out. If you move house, it takes forever to, to sort it out. Uh, you have so many clothes to wash because you've got so many clothes that it will fit in the wardrobe. You don't know where to put things. It's hard to tidy up because there's so much stuff. Um, I don't know if any of you watched that program with Stacey Solomon called Sort Your Life Out, where they get a family who's drowning in all their stuff. They take everything in their house and they put it in a big warehouse and they lay it all out on the floor so they can see. And then they invite the family to come in and they walk into the warehouse and they say, this is your stuff. And they all go, oh my goodness. I wonder what it would look like maybe if we took the chairs out, we come in and laid your stuff in here. What would it look like? How much room would it take up? Would it fit? I don't think we'll be doing that, but just saying. <laughs> We kind of get out of step, step with the natural world because we don't need all that stuff, but we get it anyway. We're out of step with the natural world in our eating, in our cooking, so hence my fruit shopping. The fact that we can buy blueberries from Peru. It's great, but it's perhaps not very wise. We know what effect it has on the planet, all of this long distance flying to bring us stuff from all over the world. And we know about the climate crisis, and James talked about that last week. But also, scientists are finding out more and more about the fact that it has a big effect on our, spiritual, um, sorry, on our physical and our mental health uh, to be so out of step with the natural world. But today, I want to think especially about the effect it has on our spiritual health. So what effect does it have on our spiritual health to be so out of step with the rhythms of creation and of the natural world? Well, one thing, there are many distractions to choose from instead of choosing to spend time with God. We have so much choice of what we can do. But that can lead us to sometimes failing to take the rest that we should. 
to take a Sabbath day, a day of quiet, a day of resting and not working. Now that we can look at our emails every day. What else? What other effects does it have on our spiritual life? Well, I was thinking about this urge to give ourselves what we want immediately and not waiting. The effect of that is that we don't really need to rely on God to provide things. Not like those birds that Jesus talked about. We don't need God. We can just get stuff ourselves until we can't. I think also we live as if we are immortal and invincible. And if something does go wrong, well, there's the National Health Service, so we're okay. And I think that's why COVID was such a shock, wasn't it, when we had to lock down in COVID. What do you mean there's a disease that we can't cure, we can't treat, we can't vaccinate against, um, and in order to stop getting it, we can't give you anything, so you'll just have to all stay at home? It was a massive shock to us, wasn't it? Not just in itself, but in the idea that even in our country, you know, we're not really very in control of things, are we? So what could be a solution to being out of step with the natural world? Well, we can literally get more involved with the seasons and with growing, the physical act of growing stuff. I'm sure many of you do that already. Or there might be local groups that you can get involved with, like down in Bloom or the Friends of Page Park or wherever else where you live that actually getting involved in growing stuff does us good, and people are finding that more and more. You can now get it prescribed on the NHS as a treatment to attend the gardening group or whatever. Because maybe most of us aren't going to be able to grow much food for ourselves, but it seems to do us good to be in touch with the rhythm of life by doing it. It's like a metaphor, isn't it? And we can grow the fruits of the Spirit alongside our apples and our tomatoes. If you've done any gardening, you know that you need patience, one of those fruits of the spirit, because things don't happen overnight. You have to work hard to get things. You can learn the gift of resilience, because sometimes it doesn't work out, does it? If you've ever had your lovely plant eaten by slugs or your crop ruined by caterpillars, you know all about the ups and downs of life. There's joy that fruit of the Spirit, which is like the simple pleasure of seeing something grow or flower. And then there's generosity in the sharing of the harvest. So whether you've got a windowsill or a huge garden or something in between, whether you can get out and be physical in the garden or in a park or whether for you it's more about looking out of the window and enjoying nature, these things are important to us. And they could get more important to us, perhaps, if we're somebody who that's a bit lacking in our lives. So we can get more in step with the seasons of nature. I'd say another thing that we perhaps are not very good at is we've forgotten how to value the seasons of life and the change that comes to everything. A lot of us like to pretend that we're not really aging. We might alter our appearance so it doesn't look like we're aging. And also, often we can't bear to talk about death. And by not doing that, we deny God the chance to challenge and reassure us and those we love about the future. We're out of step with the seasons of life and the seasons of nature. 
And because we don't like waiting, because we don't like disappointment or suffering, we try and distract ourselves. We try and solve things. We try and fix things. We try and avoid anything that we don't like, rather than leaning into God and learning from him like those birds. Effectively, we're saying, God, I can't wait for you to do stuff. I'm just going to have to take it into my own hands. Another thing that we do, a lot of us, we rush things and we force things. We don't like to wait for things to go on in their own time. We've forgotten the value of fallow. Now, as you probably know, in a farm, some of the land is set aside as fallow because every piece of land needs the time to rest every few years. Otherwise, all of the nutrients are just taken out of the soil and there's nothing left and the crops get less and less productive. The land is overworked and becomes infertile if you don't have fallow time. So we know that's literally a problem. And again, we come back to fertilizers. People have tried to counteract that with fertilizers, but it doesn't necessarily do much good to the soil. But if you think of it as a metaphor, we need times of waiting on God. We need times of resting and recovery. Fallow times, we might call them dry times. We sang about the desert times in that song. We don't need to be so afraid of those times and try and rush through them or avoid them, not have them. Because actually ordinary times, unproductive times, they might feel strange, but we don't have to measure ourselves by the way that the world measures things. We don't have to be super productive every day, all the time. That's not how we were made. We need times of rest and we need seasons of fallow. And in Ecclesiastes, that that reading, that poem at the beginning about the time to be silent and the time to speak, a time to keep and a time to throw away, it sort of has that feeling of rhythm, doesn't it? That life is not always all about success. It's not always about productivity. In the IKEA advert, that phrase that I'm sure I've told you about before that I love so much, the IKEA phrase is, the wonderful every day. Everyday things are okay. They can be celebrated. They can be enjoyed. It's not all about the highs of life. And I wanted to recommend you a book. Um, Again, we may have mentioned this from the front before. Has anyone read this? The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I highly, highly recommend it. You can borrow my copy if you speak to me very nicely and you promise to give it back. It's the sort of book you need to read about once a year because it reminds you of how much hurry there is in the modern world and how that separates us from God and does us a lot of damage. So some of these ideas, you might be able to find them in there and lots more besides. So what's the solution to forgetting how to value those seasons of life? Well, we can do these things literally and we can do them metaphorically again. So if you're feeling like there's too much in your life and you need to do a bit of pruning, then maybe you can go out and do some pruning. Or you can look at a bush and think about what needs to be done to it, and that might help God to speak to you in a new way. If you're feeling that there are things that you have forgotten about in your spiritual life that you used to do, time you used to spend with God that you don't do anymore, maybe you could, I don't know, clear out a cupboard at home or something, and it would just help you ask God to speak to you as you do it help you to think about that sort of clearing and starting again. 
or buy some seeds, plant a plant as a sign that you feel in your life there's new beginnings at the moment. These are just very simple things that you probably do anyway, but you could do them with a consciousness that uh, this is tying you more closely to the created world that God made and the fact you're acknowledging that you are also part of creation. You are a, a being, a body, and that God can speak to you through those things. You could learn to embrace change. All things do come to an end, and some of us hold on to things perhaps longer than we should because we find it difficult to admit that change is needed. New things come, and because we can trust in God, as the writer Ecclesiastes finds, we can trust in God as he leads us into the new. In the Anglican Church, we have the helpful thing of the church year, which helps us to think about the seasons of life in, uh, in our church seasons. So we have the time of Advent, the time of waiting and patience. I wonder what you could do differently this year in Advent that would help you to acknowledge that time of year, that would help you to grow closer to God in a particular way. Perhaps it's to do with planting something in Advent and waiting to see it grow. The time of Lent is a time of sorrow and repentance. Maybe we should lean into that a bit more next year and think about what you might want to do at that time. Is it a time when you want to spend more time with God? Um, I don't know, in, in repentance or in, in perhaps sorting through some old photograph albums of, um, of loved ones that are lost and remembering them before God and also asking him to speak to you. There's also a rhythm in our community outside these walls uh, that we sometimes join in with and maybe we could join in with more. Some of these things might be, we might feel a bit unsure about wanting to join in with, but maybe we can bring Christ into them. So I'm thinking about families with Halloween. Halloween has obviously become a real celebration of all that's dark and gory, but it was meant to be a celebration of those who had passed on, who had died, who were, who were servants of Christ. So we're doing our trail and treat again this year. We were doing car boots in the past, but this year we're going to do it in the church hall. It's called trail and treat. It might be something that you can let your families know about and invite friends to or come and help us with. It's a way of thinking about the rhythms of the year and, and the things that our community love, but bringing Christ into them. Or maybe you could do something yourself with your neighbours. We're having uh, the Remembrance Sunday. Usually we have a service here, but this time we're going to invite people, if they want to, to go to, the, uh, to Page Park and join in with the rest of the community in the Remembrance Parade, joining in the community with their rhythms of life as well. And then one more idea is that next year um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about an idea of a sort of formal rhythm of life, a way of praying and a way of uh, committing ourselves to God afresh that uh, anybody can sign up to. So we'll tell you more about that in the future. So it's all about connecting with God more deeply through doing practical things, doing prayerful things, and learning from the rhythms of the natural world. I'm not saying that all modern tech is terrible. I'm not saying turn off your heating all winter. I'm not saying chuck all your gadgets away. I'm not saying rip up your lawn and grow potatoes. You can do any of those things if you want to. That's up to you and God. Well, what I'm saying is, let's look at our hearts and minds and examine what God is doing and where he wants to teach us a bit more. Let's pick up tips from nature 
rather than always cushioning ourselves from it, because we're part of creation too. So that piece in Ecclesiastes 3 again, there is a season for every activity under the heavens. Find satisfaction in all the toil. This is a gift from God. The natural world God has designed and created reflects his glory and his character. And we will be wise to watch and learn 